0: When true crime and the paranormal intersect, it makes for an amazing story. And although many Australians know of the famous story of Fisher's ghost, it's a story definitely worth sharing with the rest of the world. What sets this apart from most ghost stories, however, is that it's not just about a wandering shape or moving objects. It's the story of a true crime and the ghost that appeared to intervene and potentially help solve it. Australia's early European colonisation by England began with the arrival of the First Fleet in 1788 and was established primarily as a penal colony. Despite the fact that Australia was already inhabited by the Aboriginal people, ship after ship of prisoners, guards and administrators from England followed. This is how the main protagonist of this true story, Frederick Fisher, had arrived in Australia in 1816. Fisher had previously been a shopkeeper, but was convicted in England for forging banknotes. He received a jail sentence of 14 years and was shipped off to the new colony in Australia to serve his time. By around 1822, he had served half of his sentence, and because of his good behaviour and performance as a convict, he applied for and was granted a ticket of leave. This ticket of leave allowed convicts to live in the community in what best resembles parole these days. This also allowed Fisher to work and purchase property, and he began to work for the convict authorities in an administrative role and worked his way up. He had done quite well for himself, as there were many opportunities in the new colony, and by the year 1825, Fisher owned several farms. Most relevant to this story is the farm that he bought in Campbelltown, which is in the southwestern extreme of Sydney. This is where he decided to spend much of his time, and he became a well-known figure in the area. He got to know his neighbour quite well, a man named George Worrell, who owned the adjacent farmland. Worrell was also a convict on a ticket of leave. Fisher set about working his farm, but notably did not have a residence on the property. He was also interested in developments in the Campbelltown area and became involved in potentially lucrative building and land dealings. One of these dealings was with a local carpenter named William Brooker. Brooker had built the Horse and Jockey Inn for Fisher, but a dispute arose over money as often occurs in business deals. During the course of the argument, Fisher pulled out a knife on Brooker and used it against him. Now, although Brooker was not seriously hurt, Fisher was charged. Being a former convict on a ticket of leave and charged with a new crime, Fisher knew that jail was likely and was worried that he could lose everything he had worked so hard for. As a result of these circumstances, Fisher thought it would be best to hand over control of his assets to his friend and next-door neighbour, George Worrell, and so he gave him a power of attorney. This gave Worrell authority to act with Fisher's assets as he saw fit. For the knife incident, however, Fisher was only given a relatively light six-month sentence, and on release from jail, he returned to Campbelltown where he lived with his friend Worrell until the 17th of June, 1826, when he suddenly disappeared. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. The people of Campbelltown noticed when Fisher was no longer seen around their town and soon started to ask questions as to where he had gone. Nobody seemed to know anything and very soon they began to grow quite suspicious. It wasn't long at all before those suspicions turned to his supposed friend and co-resident George Worrell. Worrell however explained to the locals that Fisher was fine and that he had simply returned home to England. The basis for the return, Worrell said, was that Fisher had been worried about further forgery charges made against him, and that he went back to England to avoid getting in trouble. Locals and the authorities, however, were not convinced, and the longer Fisher was gone, the more the eye of suspicion set its gaze on Worrell. Despite these suspicions, the authorities initially took no action against Worrell. However, Worrell then started to raise even more suspicion when he started to transact with Fisher's property and belongings, selling them off to other people, and acting as if they were his own. His justification for doing so was that he claimed Fisher had sold all his property to him before leaving for England. Unsatisfied with the explanation, and with no other suspects, the authorities arrested Worrell on suspicion of murder in September 1826. But the problem they faced was that there was no body, and no evidence that he had committed the crime. As such, the police had problems with securing a conviction. To make matters more confusing for authorities, Worrell then changed his story and named four other men who he claimed had been involved in Fisher's murder. Authorities took no chances, and casting a wide net also arrested the other four men. There would be no further developments in the case of suspected murder for several more weeks. The authorities clearly suspected foul play, but weren't able to prove it. And the locals weren't sure of what to believe anymore. Where had Fisher gone? Was he dead? Had he fled Australia? This question was unanswered until late one night in October 1826, almost 200 years ago this month. A local and well-respected farmer named John Farley burst into a local pub, stumbling as he went. His face pale and his eyes opened wide and he was clearly in a state of shock. He declared to the patrons that Fisher's disappearance was no longer a mystery and that he now knew for sure that Fisher was dead. He knew this because he had just seen Fisher's ghost. Farley claimed that he had been walking along the road near by Fisher's farm, and thought he saw something sitting on the railing of the bridge there. As Farley looked closer, he saw a pale figure that almost seemed to glow against the backdrop of the darkness. Very quickly, Farley recognised it as none other than Frederick Fisher himself. <gasps> Thinking for a moment that it actually was Fisher, he approached cautiously, but then he noticed that the pale, ghostly figure that sat on the railing seemed to beckon Farley towards him. Now, realising that all was not as it seemed, Farley approached closer, a little more hesitantly, and then the pale, silent ghost of Fisher slowly raised its arm to point towards a paddock down the creek from where they stood. Then, the figure simply faded away. Although the story of Fisher's ghost appearing to Farley was known to local police, they were not in the business of taking ghost stories seriously in murder investigations, and they still did not have a precise location to search for a body. After all, if the ghost story was true, they would only have a rough idea as to the paddock to search for the body in. Keep in mind that investigation techniques at the time were not as efficient or as well resourced as they are today. Things stagnated. That was until, shortly after Farley's encounter, on the 25th of October, 1826, that two young boys crossing across Fisher's old farm claimed to police that they had seen bloodstains on a fence. Armed with this new potential evidence, now the police could justify conducting more searches of a particular area, and in doing so, found a lock of hair and a broken tooth. Still unable to find a body, however, police then decided to call in Gilbert an experienced aboriginal tracker who was from the nearby Liverpool area Gilbert aided the police and took them down across the land following the signs that his experienced tracking skills revealed to him Gilbert reached one point where he stopped and tasted the water in the marshy land and he told the police that it tasted like quote, "white fellow's fat" end quote. Before not long, after leading the police to an area where the soil seemed to have been disturbed, here Gilbert found Fisher's body in a shallow grave on Worrell's land. The location of Fisher's body was exactly in the paddock where his ghost on the bridge had pointed Farley to. With the discovery of Fisher's body, Worrell was tried and hanged for Fisher's murder in February 1827. On the scaffold before being hanged, Worrell confessed to the murder of Fred Fisher, but then claimed that he had killed Fisher by mistake, believing that he had seen a horse in his wheat crop. This mistake Worrell claimed was not believed by anyone, and at any rate, the mystery had been solved, and the perpetrator had been brought to justice. Fred Fisher was then buried in St. Peter's graveyard next to his brother Henry. There is no headstone to mark the grave, however. There are local residents that still believe that the ghost of Fred Fisher haunts the Campbelltown Town Hall. The town hall is said to be built on land where Fisher and Worrell's lands intersected. Had Fred Fisher's ghost intervened to help solve the mystery of his disappearance and to bring justice to his restless spirit? I guess only you can decide for yourself. As an aside, every year to commemorate the appearance of Fisher's Ghost, which happened to be around the time of Halloween, the city of Campbelltown holds the Fisher's Ghost Festival with parades, music and creepy themed dress-ups. The legend is part of the culture of the area and is a warning that justice can still reach out from beyond the grave.